Hey everybody and welcome back to The Discussion Phase, our board gaming podcast where we take a break from playing the games we love to talk about the games we love. As always, I'm your host Brady. And I'm Matthew. On today's episode, Matthew and I are just chilling and talking about our favorite board games to conclude the night with. And then we're also going to be taking a look at our last big box battle store. So stay tuned. And as always, buckle up. So Matthew, I don't know about you, if you walked outside today, but yeah. like here in East Tennessee, today was the first day that it really felt. Yeah. And when I got fall. home from work today, you know, the sun been out all day, hitting the leaves. I got out of the car and I just took a big, deep breath and I could smell fall. fall. I yeah. Could smell it's it. amazing how you can smell it. I yeah. could smell like the fall, traditionally smell the leaves and everything yeah. like that. Um, it, it was a cool breeze. Like this morning, I had put my heat, my my seat warmers on. Yeah, uh, like yesterday it was summer. Today it was fall. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to continue like that, but the, like everyone felt it um, here. And so, so that kind of inspired our main topic for today. You know, games a that are chill. chill. Yeah, yeah, games that are chill that aren't too brain burning, that relaxing. Uh, to enjoy, but what are some things that you've been up to this past week? Because I've I've gotten a, in a handful of new games. I'm excited to talk about. Yeah, you've probably got the upper hand on me this week. I'm continuing uh, f- for myself to drag John into the weeds of X-Wing mm-hmm. and get, just try to get him deeper and deeper into the sauce on that, and he's really liking it. I'm really liking getting back into it. Um, we also play got in a play, I don't know if you remember this, of True Colors. I can't remember. Oh yeah, we did. Okay, we, that's right. It's it's been <laughs> a little bit. Obviously, a very a, yeah. memorable game. So this game wasn't nearly as dicey or as spicy as it I thought it could have been. Yeah, yeah. So essentially, I, I don't know if we got if we just didn't get to the spiciness of yeah, like it's a big deck. So essentially, the, the premise is um, each player takes a turn revealing a card, which the example could be like which person among you is do you the not mo- want to sit next to you on a plane or something? Yeah, like that. and so everyone has a vote card with a, a, a color. Everyone is represented by a color, has a color piece in front of them, and everyone will secretly vote who they think answers that is most true with the vote. Uh, that's put in a little box. And then what's next is you have to decide with your player token simultaneously with everyone else on a little board whether you individually will get no votes, some votes, or all the votes. So is Brady always the person that we're, what would you say, we're sitting next to or don't want to sit next to? Don't want to sit next to. Yeah, so would Brady get all the votes? He would put it there. If Brady thought he would maybe get one or two votes, he'd put it in the middle. If Brady thought he would get none of the votes for that, he'd put it, I'm not going to get any. And you score points whether or not you're correct for not getting any votes or getting all the votes or anything like that. But the questions weren't like, it's set up to be like, which of the people among you, I think the most, the the diciest or the, the, the juiciest question was like, which of you is most jealous? I think maybe. Yeah, something like that. And the other ones were just kind of interesting. Like whose house would you rather stay yeah, at? And Jacob's the only one I think who has who like would, an actual house. Yeah, or so who's, picked him. Yeah, or whose workout <laughs> routine do you think is better or... Something like that, yeah, but yeah. it it could have been a little more interesting. Like I could definitely see this being and like, of course, with our group, we ended up like gamifying it, where yeah. it's like I know 
that John thinks that he's going to get no votes. So I'm going to put and one so, vote. So I'm going to put one vote on John just so he gets it wrong or whatever. That and did so, take a little bit of the spirit out, but I think that made that that was definitely a player. That was uh, that's not a game issue. That's us yeah, issue. Yeah, yeah. We, we <laughs> it's a party game. We were trying to gamify it a little bit. So I'll I'll probably give this one a couple more tries, but it didn't have me. Just did you get itching. to play it at your family dinner? I know no. you usually do a family dinner get together weekly. No, we didn't. We didn't bust that one now. Yeah. So that would have been a good one to do with the in-laws. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it would be better at six players. Yeah. Because with four, I think. And you can like, you can get the odds a little bit better in, in your favor. You know, what's going to happen. But with six, you know, you have no idea. Yeah. yeah. I, and it plays what? Just up to six. I, I think. think so. Yeah. yeah. But it plays quick. It's light. It's, it's a little, definitely a little more interesting than um, just everyone draw a picture on something like a telestrations. I think I definitely rather do that. Really? And then reveal I would so I, much rather telestration. Really, yep. but the, the cool part is like you're revealing like who did the votes because everyone has to pull their vote card back, oh, so you're yeah, seeing yeah. who voted for who. And you kind of want to sometimes you kind of want to pull them back real quick so nobody notices that you voted for such and such. Yeah, we used to play, and it kind of reminds me in college we used to play this game called Paranoia. Have you ever heard of this? I don't know if I have. So. You essentially you would just play in a group, and one person would ask um, another person in a circle uh, a question about another, like about a person, and then yeah. their that person's answer would be the person who they go to ask the question to. Okay. So you would be like, "Who would you want to take out on a date?" And then they don't answer you; they go and ask the person that they would want to take out on a date. And, okay. and they ask them a question or whatever. And so, you know, when somebody comes over to you and asks you a question, you're like, oh, well, what, you know, what was your question that I'm the answer to or whatever? So it was very edgy. And, and so it's just a little paranoia. Yeah. <laughs> well, one excited, I got in a couple of games, but the one I'm most excited to talk about, and this was just the first initial play. Um, so taking that with a grain of salt, just kind of the first impressions from it. And this was a game that was on my list of late to the party, missed the boat episode that we talked about games in the top 100, 200 uh, that we've wanted to play. We just haven't got a chance to. We know these are great games, but we haven't just gotten to the table. Uh, and that is Twilight Struggle. Uh, John and I had a chance to play this, I believe it's past Sunday um, afternoon. We had a chance to sit down. Some of the other guys were busy. Uh, we sat down. John got this from his future father-in-law um spoiler alert <laughs> that's definitely going to be happening i think that spoiler has already been it's already been alert. okay yeah, that's already yeah. been spoiled uh but john's father-in-law gave him a copy of the most recent updated edition of twilight struggle sleeved all that stuff uh john learned the rules had a little bit of basis so john kind of filled in the gaps and stuff um and i didn't know what to expect from the game i didn't know if this is just going to be a, a my first impressions going in i felt this man i have a sinking feeling that this is going to be like senselessly uh fiddly just all these little because in these war games these gmt games sometimes can have a reputation for just having all these just abstract concepts and rules and stuff that just you're having to work to remember all these kind of things uh but the mechanism of the games are really simple like if i wanted to i could probably streamline teach you this game in 15 minutes 10 15 minutes tops yeah. Uh, with it because the main action system is you have a hand of cards um, and similar to a lot of other games we play and especially like Watergate I saw a lot of inspiration I think that Twilight Struggle uh, was the inspiration for for Watergate because when you have a cards in your hand uh, you draw the difference between this and Twi uh, this and Watergate in Watergate each player it's 1v1 uh, and 
Twilight Struggle, you're playing the USSR versus the United States during the Cold War. We're both drawing from a communal deck. But the hands of cards you have, you can play the card for either an action point value, which you get to assign to one of, uh, I believe, three or four different actions. And obviously the value of that card's number means you get to take more and more powerful of an action or you can use the card for its event. Um, so it had that same DNA that you love in something like Watergate. Yeah. Um, and what you're trying to do with these action points or these events is either increase your influence in a specific country or decrease someone else's influence. Uh, so the game board separated by seven main regions, North, South America, Africa, Europe, um, Asia, the Middle East. And in each of these regions, you have actual countries like uh, Afghanistan, Iraq, Egypt, United Kingdom, Berlin, all these kind of places. Um, but in each actual city, in each actual country, you have two little empty squares there, one for your influence tokens and one for your opponents. And it kind of has a concept like in something like, um, um, oh, what's your favorite dudes on the map game? Uh uh, blood rage. I Not blood or rage. Um, it's Game of Risk? Thrones. Game of Thrones. Oh, oh, yeah. I believe it's in Game of Thrones, or I may be misconstruing this. Like to take control of a region, you have to have at least so much influence in it, and then once you meet that level, then you like claim it and you can move on from it. Is that how Game of Thrones works? Uh, kind of like for the neutral territories. Neutral yeah. territories, and yeah. so like to gain control of the country, you have to meet first meet a control point or an influence number. So you're spending action points to increase influence in certain countries. Um, but let's say Europe needs, not Europe, but the United Kingdom needs four influence points for you to control it. You get four influence points. But if John, who's playing the USSR, he puts one influence point in there. Now our difference is only three. So now I don't control it anymore. And so it's all about going back and forth with those. Uh, but the interesting part is that the events on these cards are either blue events or red events. Blue is obviously for the United States. Red is for uh, Russia, obviously. What's really interesting, (laughs) if I play a card for its action value, Brady, but if it is... So this is like the numbered value in Watergate. Yeah, on the top left-hand corner of the card. Where you can just move any token or whatever. Yep, exactly like that. Uh, A lot of the cards you've used for the event are removed from the game instead of being shuffled back in. Uh, But if I played a card for its point value... But its event was associated with you, the red player. I play the card for its value, but then the event gets resolved in your favor and vice versa. And it makes it really tricky because there are ways when we both are like, how are we going to do this? But there's a lot of unique strategic ways of getting cards out of your hands um, to where it doesn't help the opponent. Because you read on the cards like... Uh, like the, one of it was like the Cuban Missile Crisis. So like if I play this card, John would get some influence in Cuba. Um, but if you play it at the right time, it's not as beneficial for your opponent. So it actually like, man, it's like, what's the point of this? He's, they're going to get it. But when you play the event is huge because you have foreknowledge of when it's happening. So there were a lot of times we would play events that would go towards our opponent to help them. But when we played it strategically, they got little to nothing out of it. And it was a really cool like tension of like, I have all these cool cards in my hands, but I, because during each round, you have to take so many actions. And so you're going to have to play some of these cards. So you're like, I have to play this card. I know I have to play it this round. But when in this round can I play it and not help my opponent So how many cards most? do you draw up to? I think you have a hand of seven to eight, depending on which round. Further you get in the game, you can get larger hand sizes because the actions you get to take goes up. Uh, but what's really cool is the scoring system. Because scoring is played by when you play down a card. So let's say um, South America has a card that you can play to activate scoring 
Um, that goes into someone's hand from the draw pile. You have to play it. But the thing is, the way countries are scored is either by presence, which means you control a country, your opponent can control a country, uh, by um, um, presence, control. Control means you have more, uh, but dominance means you have all the battlegrounds. So certain countries in South America are blue because they're a battleground. They're more valuable. They're harder to get. And so each level of control you have in like South America, you get more points. The thing is your opponent scores points with you and you only actually come ahead if you score more points. So it's a tug of war. So the score track is everyone starts at zero. I can take the score 20 points my way. John can take the score 20 points his way. So he could score points, but then I could bring those points right back towards me. So it's like a literal tug of war with the point scoring system oh, gotcha. um, for that. Kind of yeah. like the track on Watergate in the oh, middle okay. to tug of war back and forth. But that's actually our so permanent it, points. So it is, so Watergate is like a little baby version. It is like Twilight, Twilight Struggle light. But the, the theme, like every action you do in this game, all the events are 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 legit. Like it's part of the history. You're playing yeah. the history. It might be the most thematic game ever because... Twilight or Twilight because the United States and Russia were essentially playing a grand board game with, with the, world. the rest of the world. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, is that, crazy. and you, you texted me and you asked me, Matthew, um, because it's trying to be historically accurate with its events, does it feel scripted? And in no way, shape or form did I ever know what was going to happen or could happen just on my knowledge of history yeah. or my knowledge of what happened in actual history, because it's all about when you play cards and how you play the cards. So like the actions, the events are historical. This event happened, but you have a little more influence on when that event triggers. Yeah, because my my worry, I'm here's how I feel about this. I'm excited to play it. But I could see it going one of two ways. Either it is more like Watergate and I will really like it, or it is more like War of the Ring and I will not like it. And I don't know how anyone could get any connection between Twilight Struggle and War of the Ring other than it being a two player game. I think my well, only th my only thought is just like the event cards, like War of the Ring is just very driven by those those very similar event cards where it's like, oh, well, know, blah, I, blah. I, maybe event card is the wrong term. Maybe the rules actually call them, but they're like action cards, action cards, but the yeah. action cards have a historical, like there's an action card that influences stuff in Cuba, but it's, it's called the Cuban missile crisis. The other thing about this game, Matthew, is that I was look cause you guys did get me legitimately excited to play this. And, um, because I, I love Watergate. It's such a fun game. And I was, so I started looking some stuff up and like one of everyone said that someone who ha has played it before is pretty much always going to beat someone who's not played it before. If the difference and between I don't that need you to smack me into the <laughs> ground, like you did with me and Watergate, yeah, that I, was disgraceful and, and dishonorable. Yeah. I think that is true. <laughs> if you're playing against someone who hasn't played or maybe only played once and you've played 10, 20 times. Um, that's going to make it because even as we were playing, like John and I didn't go because the it's a tiered deck. You have an early war, the first four rounds. You have a mid war, the next four rounds. Then you have a late war, the late three rounds. So are those things like, are the event cards or action cards or whatever historically tied to events that happened during those war times or is it just all mixed in? Like it's those war times. So early, so like, so, so Cuban Missile Crisis so, will never be in like the first deck. Or whatever. I can't remember exactly if it was or not. Okay. Um, like we weren't going ahead before, but like certain countries, 
like South America didn't having did not have a scoring card like play this card to score or influence until the middle of uh, the middle war uh, deck because historically it, those countries weren't involved yet. Yeah, so yeah. what was really cool is like I had that in my hand. John didn't know I had it in my hand, but John saw me start placing influence markers in South America. So he started matching me because the only reason I would start doing that because we were we start the game in Europe, the Middle East, in Asia, uh, but then Africa and South America come into play more. And so John saw me doing that, and he knew that the only reason I'd be doing that is because I'm trying to build up to a scoring event. And so he matched me, and and it was a, like when you just think about and hear about it, like you have a scoring card in your hand that I don't know about, like that could really hose the other player. But you match, like you get to see what people are doing. Um, and so it's all about obviously a little bit of mind games. What does he have in his hand to make him Ugh, do this action? I'm getting excited. For um, there's also like Let's a space just race. Everything up and yeah. go to John's. There's house a space race track to where you're kind of going up that. Um, but the the tug of war with the game can either end one of two ways. At the end of ten rounds, whoever has the most points in their favor along their line, or if anyone ever hits twenty points in their direction. Uh, so like when John scores, it's just I, like a blowout. Yeah, and that's how I won that maybe in the fifth or sixth round um, for it. But there's a lot of decisions you make. You like there's I'd say there is little, uh, uh, there's no a little and a lot of luck for certain actions you can choose. Like you can choose high risk or low risk actions. Uh, so there are some dice rolling in the game, but it's like a dice roll modifier to actions you're doing. So low risk actions are just spending action points to increase your influence. A little bit of risk action is um, doing an action. I can't remember what it's called, but like you're restructuring the influence. And then you can actually do a high risk action, which is actually trying to throw a coup in the country, which removes someone else's influence and replaces okay. it with yours. Um, but the really cool thing also is when you do these actions, your strength of your actions and your likelihood of succeeding is if you do actions in a country that are adjacent to countries you already control. So if I do actions in... And uh, let's say France, but I have countries like England that are adjacent to it. It makes those actions more powerful. So like it's strategic where and when you do it, not just random actions all across the board. It's really it's it felt like the game was alive and we were just in this big sandbox. But the rules never felt overwhelming because like some things you just don't know about until you get to a card with it. But the basic actions are you use a card for its event or you use the action points for one of three or four actions and your actions depend on how strong those are. So it's really not a super complicated um, game as far as mechanics, but there's a ton of strategy and a ton of replayability. Well, I'm excited to play it, but yeah. would you consider it a chill game? I would not consider it a chill <laughs> it's game. It's not going to be on your chill it, list. It's a, it's a get hype, get excited. It's a, it's a game I'm showing up for. Gotcha. Okay. Well, why don't we transfer? I'm, I'm yeah excited to get that one to the table either with John or you or whatever. This one might end up being one that I could anticipate picking up for myself. Yeah, I mean it has. If you love Watergate, everything you love Watergate for Brady is the mind games. What's in my opponent's mind? What do they have in their hand? Uh, the back and the tug of war and the history integration, um, connecting things on the board like in Watergate, how you connect those clue pieces or the or the you know investigation pieces to get to Nixon, you know. Although what you're not connecting pieces in um, Twilight Struggle, but like to spread influence, you have to spread influence in a connected network. You just can't 
always necessarily randomly put influence everywhere. You're kind of incentivized to spread out. And so you're choosing your path to go to different countries and intertwining, intertwining that with your opponent. Yeah. And another one I want to check out and we'll transfer into our or segue into our main topic here in just a bit is there's one called making of a president too, that I feel like is along the same line. So with the GMT, maybe, well, it's, it's not a war game. It's, it's about Nixon versus. Yeah. I think um, that's another game by uh, GMT and it's all about influence and control on the map of the United States to essentially your, I mean, if I remember correctly, you're vying for uh, electoral votes, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I'm just getting hyped about these like history games and yeah. Cause I love history. That's, that's always been something I really enjoyed. If it paid better, better, maybe I would have been a history teacher. Um, yeah. cause I think it's, yeah, it's, it's a GMT. Absolutely bonkers. What yeah. is that? So what is it? It's like 19, it was in 1960, 1960, the making of a president. Yeah. It came out in 2007. Um, it's by a GMT, um, with it. And, you know, looking at the board, I haven't read all the rules, but just looking at the game, it's a map of the United States, the different regions, different blocked off sections. And it looks like you're vying for electoral votes and it's between JFK and, uh, Nick and Nixon yeah. for it. So it's, it's really interesting. JFK, yeah, so. interesting. I don't look like to me, I always enjoy stuff that has historical bases because to me, it just makes it that much more uh, believable or easy to get into. Like some of my favorite films are in the genre of like biopics or like based on a true story or a true event. Um, like one, like one of my favorite movies that came out in the past year or two was Ford V Ferrari, uh, which I don't, did you ever get a chance to see that Yeah, it was movie? Good. Yeah. Based on a true event. It was just so much. That easy. would be a cool board game too. For having to innovate. Well, listen, yeah. Brady, I have Kanban EV, uh, deluxe edition, just sitting at the end of my bed, waiting to be played. <laughs> okay. And it's about as close as we're going to get to it. Um, but yeah, let's get into our main topic today of board games and chill. Um, these are games where you don't have to rev your engines up. You don't have to go all in with strategy or really digging into these are games that maybe you play at the end of the night or maybe after a long day and you're just wanting to relax, but enjoy something at the same time. Um, yeah, a lot of times for me, we've just played like a big brain burning game. And so everyone's brain is tired and we want to play something a little more. We don't have to think about it too much. We're just kind of moseying along and, um, and yeah, ending the night. Yeah. And, and we were inspired by the, the fresh, uh, cool air of fall. Um, so I can start us off tonight. My first, uh, game is one that, uh, David introduced to us. We played it at least once. I can't remember if we played it twice. I think he may have sold it because uh, I don't know if he was too interested in it. But what is more chill, Brady, than a cat? And what is more chill than a cat? A cat lady. My first game I'm going <laughs> yeah, with. Cat, um, I thought you were going to say, what was it? What's the other one? Cat Island or something like Isle that? Isle of Cats. Isle of Cats. Um, but my first one I'm going to go to is Cat Lady. Um, it's a very... Um, cutesy kind of pastel color scheme on this. And essentially the premise is, is that you are a cat lady and you're part of this elite group that are trying to get all the stuff for their cats, like toys or food or everything like that. And it's a little bit of a drafting game. And so there's a grid of cards in the middle of the table. If I remember correctly, of three by three and you get to draft three cards, but like the row or the column, you draft the card, you get resources and bonuses and stuff like that. And there's um, gold cards of trying to get so much resources. Like, I don't know if there's milk or so many toys or anything like that. But it's just a cute little whimsical game that you don't really care too much if you win. You don't really care too much if you lose. 
Um, and you, you're able to just do a little bit of light card drafting, but it's a cute, quaint game that you don't have to think very much about. But I remember enjoying it. It was a little bit of a different theme. It played really quick, really snappy. Your turns came back around to you, and it was just something you didn't have to think too hard about. But I said, you know what? I enjoyed it, and I wouldn't say no to playing it again. Um, I actually, yeah, if we were like, hey, what's something chill we could play? Let's pull out Cat Lady, play it in 15, 20 minutes, and we'd <laughs> be good to go. The theme. Um, well, speaking of cat cats, my cat is sitting on my list. So move along, move along. All right. So my first one, I think, um, actually, I'm going to go with this one. It's an older one. And this is Suro, Way of the Path. Suro, yeah. I have. I actually, this was on my short list to add. Yeah. Um, yeah, this, I should have put it on the list. This is a really great pick. I I actually really like this game. And the thing is, I don't know, a lot of times when I've introduced it to people, they are not as interested into me because, you know, I, I talk about it all the time. I love puzzle type nature games uh games that have a, a puzzly nature to them and i think suro is a really great pick except for maybe the little bit of the player elimination but it's short yeah it's shorter and yeah you're just kind of i i think it's less of the gameplay because you do have to put a little bit of like planning and thought into this but just where your like pieces go along on these little paths and yeah. stuff it, and it's made out of these like stones that sort of remind me of like hot stones as you get a massage yeah. with. Yeah. Um, so I think it's like more of the aesthetic and it has like the Asian. So like what's the gameplay? Like how does, what do you so, do in the game? Yeah. You, everybody kind of starts on the edge of the board. Actually, Is it like with, seven by seven grid or something like yeah, six by like six? Eight by, uh, eight by eight, I think. Um, and so you have, so everybody starts on a little entrance to a path and everyone will have a hand of tiles that just have crisscrossing paths on them. And so when you set your tile on your turn, you'd set your tile in front of your piece and your piece would just follow the path to the end of that tile. And so if you place another one, um, it follows that one. But if you place it and some tiles connect, you follow your piece to the very end of yeah. that. And so what that can result in is you falling off of the board. Yeah, and so or if you really, run into another player's piece. Yeah, yeah. If you run into another player, you get eliminated. And so you're kind of, um, it's very puzzly because you're trying to figure out, you know, orient how to orient these tiles to where you kind of go in a good in a good place, um, where you where you kind of can plan ahead a little bit and try to outlast everybody. And so, yeah, for me, I think this is more of an aesthetic thing, but it is a very easy game. You're not yeah. making it totally. I I always keep it uh, on available because I think you can play up to six maybe uh there's also an expansion for it as well um but i enjoy the puzzle especially um the fact that it lets you have a hand of three tiles to choose from so it gives you options this is something that is the next game on my list doesn't have which i added to it as a house rule any guesses oh a tile play yeah hand of tiles is this, oh, is this uh, Carcassonne? This is Carcassonne. Oh. Carcassonne. You added a house rule of a hand of tiles? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Because nothing is worse than drawing a single tile and not having any, like, it's the same thing as playing Suro uh, Way of the Path and not having, you're only having one tile in your hand. You're like, well, I'm hosed. <laughs> I don't have any options here. And so what I do, and every and whenever I played it, people really enjoy it, no complaints, and doesn't change the game. It just allows for a little more strategy or a little more thought or not feeling like you're forced 
that have yeah. to play that one piece. Yeah, Carcassonne just doesn't quite do it for me. Maybe if they update it a little bit more, I don't know. I don't so love it, the tile placement. It's, of it's that. not exciting, but I enjoy I enjoy tile placement. I enjoy creating the map. I enjoy connecting between roads, and I really enjoy kind of when people are trying to merge their two different cities together to take over someone else's points. Um, is really interesting strategy, but you know it's a light game that you don't have to think too much about. All you have to do is just connecting colors and shapes together, and you're building out this cool little network with it. And it's always a picture worthy conclusion when you get to the very end and you have this big sprawling map and it's going to be different every single time you play it. And there's a lot of expansions that you can add into it. Uh, there's expansions you can add if you want it to be a little bit more mean or aggressive game or to have more interesting choices or more unique kind of meeples or things that you're doing. There's, I mean, there's a dozen, at least 11 or 12 expansions or modules that yeah, you can yeah, put yeah. into the game. Um, but for me, it, it's, it's a quick, easy, it's a 25, 30 minute game at most. You can play multiple player counts. It plays up to five. Um, there may be some expansions that add more. And I'm sure if you added multiple games, you could make it a, as big as you want. I've seen people have just giant games of multiple games of Carcassonne that they put together and just made one big uh, and we gigantic have game. Carcassonne to th- I think the biggest thing that Carcassonne gave us all was the meeple that every game has now. Was so. it the first one to add in the meeple? I think so. I think they even like coined the meeple okay. or like trademarked it or something like that but i think it's it's a chill game and it's um tile placement so people don't really have to think about all they have to think about is colors and roads and different stuff like that you can add in like the farmers if i don't feel like people are really up to that i don't include like the farmers rule to where you place down this piece in every city adjacent and it's connecting farms because everyone's like does this connect how do these farms connect yes Um, it's confusing that's another one of my beef with cars we don't play with that it's Herald as this like amazing entry level game, but it is confusing to people. But you don't have to play with that, and it doesn't change the game at all. It just removes one of those scoring type things. Yeah. Okay, so my next one is about food, and food's pretty chill. And that food chain magnet? Nope, definitely not. <laughs> it's point salad. Point salad. So it's a this is a great little. It's very on the nose because it's a point salad game where you're just collecting little veggies and whatnot um and you're all like on your turn i think you either draw two vegetables or a scoring card and so you don't have a whole lot of decisions to make and yeah you're like the the, at the end of the game you just match up your like your vegetables with your scoring cards and then whoever has the most points wins it's a lot of fun and honestly it's so chilled that i don't even know if i fully know the rules to the game You've taught and us this game already. And it doesn't even matter. Yeah, but you're supposed to like take out a certain amount of vegetables depending on the player count and stuff. And I've never done that. And I've always just played with a full deck. Why would you need to? It's already a short game. Yeah, I don't know. But and but it, like, it doesn't even matter. No. Just, that's a good pick. I remember when you first pulled it out, I was like, what on earth is he about to introduce to us? Because Brady always has a tendency to bring out some questionable games sometimes. No. With no. QE and all this other stuff. QE is a um, great game. But when Not I started, when we started playing, I was like, hey, this is fast. This is fun. Uh, you can see what other people are going after. So you can hate draft a little bit if you want to. Yeah. Um, if there, if there's a juicy, you, the ones you want to hate draft aren't necessarily the vegetables. It's the scoring cards. Yeah. And what's great about this is you can see a great scoring card. And you don't necessarily have to take the scoring card because it replace the scoring card just flip and they're actually double sided cards. So on, on one side is a vegetable, on the other side is the scoring mechanism. And so if I if I just take 
the vegetable that the scoring card like will replace that does it and the vegetable might even help me so it's not necessarily like true hate drafting soft soft hate drafting that's a great pick and i would never say no to at the end of the night hell let's just play some yeah some uh, point point salad um, something kind of like a liar's dice, which I didn't put on this list. Even though it's a chill game when we play it, it gets everything but chill. Oh, it's an adrenaline. It's adrenaline rush, yeah. and I'm ready not to go quite as crazy. I'm screaming and hollering yeah. everything during that. Uh, for my number three pick here for a chill game that you want to play you know, after work, with a spouse, or after a game night, um, depending on your player count, it may be not so short, uh, but it's a game I don't have any complaints about. It is a mechanically solid game. It's got a, um, several different expansions now. I think one that just came out at Gen Con um, for it, and that is Azul. Oh, yeah. You know, I thought about putting Azul on mine. Do you have like a specific one or just, no, just regu- base Azul? Just regular old Azul. Yeah, I think this one can get a little mean, I guess. And that's the only reason why I think I kept it off of mine. But yeah, you're just kind of drafting cute little pieces and stuff, so it can be pretty chill. Yeah, the one that just came out at Gen Con was uh, the Queen's Garden. There's been Summer Pavilion. I think there's been Stained Glass. Uh, Queen's Garden is the one that just came out, and you're actually playing like hexes, like I believe they're hexagons. Yeah, um, onto a they have, onto like, a trees and stuff. I yeah, saw a different plants or different little bugs and stuff like that, and it looks mechanically more intricate, like different way you're comboing and scoring stuff, at least from initial impressions. So it's like if you enjoy Zul, but you want a little more strategy other than, you know, matching colors and shapes together. But, you know, for a lot of you, almost anyone that you know has played some kind of Candy Crush type game. This is like, hey, your aunt likes Candy Crush. Let's play Azul. I enjoy the drafting. And so, you know, it still has interesting mechanics in there. And you're right. You can kind of try to play a little more aggressive, try to draft, or you draft to where it forces your opponent into a bad position or a position where they're going to have to take something that is negative because they can't fit it onto their board um, because you can't, like, draft. So essentially what you're doing, you're drafting tiles that go in rows, and once you complete an entire row, you move it over to your art piece or your mosaic or your, your floor tile. Um, but you can't draft pieces into those rows if you've already got a piece of that color on your actual board. And so you can purposely draft to where someone has to pick something up. They can't play. And if they can't play it, it goes into like a negative point section. Yeah, yeah. So there is a little bit of that. But honestly, I feel like I'm the only one who's ever really trying to go yeah, that yeah. hard at it. Most time people are just playing to help themselves the most. Versus yeah, honestly, it's a, this is a good game that can work pretty well for gamers and non-gamers because non-gamers are totally not thinking about that kind of stuff. Yeah, and it's great. Like, how do I screw someone else up? Yeah, you just focus on yourself, but it's not completely solitaire because your decisions and your opponent's decisions affects what's available to you. And obviously the in-game triggers when someone completes uh, a complete row. And so you're paying attention when other people are doing things, but it plays great at every player count, two, three, and four. So that's my number three pick, Azul, and whatever variation of expansions you want to add to it. So really quick, I just have to mention this. Speaking of Gen Con, you were just talking about that with the uh, Queen's Garden or whatever. So I saw this tweet my cousin um, brought to my attention as I went to his wedding up in Nashville this past weekend, uh, which is part of the reason why I haven't gotten a whole lot of games in. But uh, he showed me this tweet, and you, I don't know if you got to see this, Matthew, is the I think the Rams were playing in Indianapolis. It's an American football team. 
and they oh on the, get, the national football team yeah the NFL the NFL yes Brady. yeah sports balls and they couldn't get a hotel or they couldn't get their like their yeah because Gen Con takes over Indy yeah and which is it's just so funny because yeah my like my cousin just could not believe that and he follows a lot of sports could not believe that like a board game convention is so popular that it's like pushing out. Yeah. Well, Gen Con's not just board games. It's a little bit of everything in the gaming sphere. Yeah. Like, yeah. But board games is a big section of it, but it's got all the cosplay and all. I'm sure there's video games and stuff there as well. Um, But that was my number three, Brady. Okay. My number three, I guess is going to be no thanks. I don't know if you have this one on your list. Nope. Um, And this one, I think this is, Possibly, maybe other than the mind, um, which honestly I should have put the mind on here, but the other than the mind, this is probably the simplest game that I own and that I can possibly explain. And it's like, if you don't want the card, you you put a chip on it. And so on your turn, the only decision you have to make is, do I want to take the card or do I want to put a chip on it? Um this one, shockingly enough, is almost too simple. I run into some groups who who can't understand that they don't want cards. And it's have just, you ever it's had counterintuitive? Yeah, it's well, kinda, no, I've only ever played it with you or David or or the guys. So I've never played it with introducing it to new people. Like they'll have chips and they will just take low cards, and I'm like, yeah, I get that it's a low card, but you like it's points and you don't want them. So you, you know, if you're the first one, you might as well, you know, put a chip on it and then somebody else is going to get it. I don't know. It, but, but there's not net with that said, there's not necessarily a wrong way to play the game. No. And you kind of have to adapt to the people you're playing with. So if they're taking, you know, cards or whatever, you gotta, you gotta fit that into your strategy. Um, and so, yeah, I love this one because you can whip it out. It's so easy, uh, to explain and, Everyone gets the chips, and on your turn, the the magnitude of your decision is, do I put a chip on it, or do I take the card, and then pass this the next And card? it always has people laughing, or when someone says no thanks, and they pass it, and it keeps going another round, and the pot on, of the tokens gets higher and higher uh, on the card, there's a lot more tension. And it, it's, it's always been a game that's gone over well. People have always enjoyed, and no one has any complaints with it, and there's really not a lot into it. And so it's great to open up a game night with. It's great to um, end a game night with. The thing is, you do need, a, I'd say, at least four players. I think. Oh, yeah. For yeah, sure. at least yeah. four players. I it guess plays you up to five. Yeah, you, you could technically, I guess, maybe play to two or three. Um, but to get the real tension building and everything, I'd say at least four. Um, so my number four game that I'm going go with here is another game that David introduced to me, um, and that is Tiny Towns. Have you got a chance to play that one? I haven't. I've seen this one around a lot. Yeah, it's by but- AEG, designed by Peter McPherson. It came out in 2019, so it's still a relatively uh, newer game. But it's already had a, two or three expansions or two expansions that are modules you can kind of get into it, more content. Um, but the main premise of the game is that each player has kind of a player board in front of them. It's a four by four grid where you place resource cubes in specific patterns because you only have so much space on your board. So you have to place these resource cubes in a certain pattern. It has to be a certain type of resource. I can't remember what the exact resources are. I'm sure it's like wood, stone, glass. Um, and when you build a certain pattern and you complete that pattern, uh, you get to replace those cubes with an actual building. 
Uh, in each game, I think you draw out seven, six or seven building cards, and they each have different like construction plans. Um, but each building has a unique scoring uh, strategy or mechanism with it. And so why you would want to build certain buildings or the order or the placement of those um, is all going to be dependent on maybe how you want to score points. But at the very basis of it, you have a four by four grid of like a little grass pasture and you're placing down resource cubes. And then once you complete it, so it's a little Tetris-like, it's a little puzzle because you start running out of space. So it's all about, because you can only remove those cubes and get more spaces back once you complete a building, but you may be working toward multiple buildings at the same time and where you place them. And so it's just a little individual puzzle that we're all kind of working with at the same time because uh, everyone has the um, access to the same stuff. Um, but it is cute, it's quaint, it's beautiful artwork, it's in it's enjoyable. It's nothing, like I said, it's nothing, it's no brain burner, nothing going to be having you scratch your head. Um, I mean, if you want to have a little analysis of paralysis and just think 20 turns ahead, you can, um, but it can just be a light game replacing resource cubes uh, to build little buildings and structures. At the end, you say, hey, look at my town, look at your town. Um, and it's just, hey, it's a good way to end out the, the evening or do something after dinner, or you can even play a couple games back to back if people are enjoying it. But that's my number four pick, Tiny Towns. All right, so my next one is, this one's probably my least chill game of them all, but for me, it's so smooth that I don't have to think about it as much, and I can just, like, enjoy the games. I'm never really asking questions about this one, and that is Dominion. I feel Brady, like... What? What are you doing? This is chill games. No, Dominion is a chill game. It's so... I guess it depends on which what kind of cards you're putting into it. There are definitely cards or combination cards that can make it a little bit more complex. Would a you little, say? A little bit, but I just feel like my turn is going by so fast and it's just kind of you play cards, you get stuff, and it happens so fast that I'm usually not, um, I don't know, like thinking too hard about it. I also, I don't necessarily, this isn't one that I'm like going super try hard on to try to win and everything. Um yeah, I don't know. Dominion is is chill in a different way. I just I feel like, and it's also it's very repetitive. What you're doing, it is. Yeah, say. it's very repetitive, and I think there's some soothing in that. And it goes so fast. I think that there's no. This kind of, sounds kind of weird, but there's no talking. Usually, when you're playing a game, Dominion, everyone's kind of being quiet. I almost feel like you could play. You could turn the mellow dice on. And just play Dominion, and everyone can kind of be doing their own thing for the most part. And you know, you might say, "Hey, you know, I I played a battle card or whatever." And every now yeah, and, and that's what I was saying. Like there are like I remember the last game of Dominion. It was you, myself, and I believe at least Steven. And there were some weird combo type cars where things would get activated, reactivated. And stuff like that, and he yeah. even had these huge turns and stuff. So there are very just more basic: gain some coins, gain some actions, or anything yeah. I like guess that. as long as you aren't getting too deep into the expansions with this and like putting on really crazy stuff, um, then it can it can stay pretty simple and pretty pretty chill. So that's my number four. All righty, my final game, um, and this is one that first popped into my mind. I actually mentioned this in our lost episode of the discussion phase love at first dice and that is a great game that you can play at two with a partner um, or just a chill game uh, at the end of the night and that is parks this is a game that oh, you know yeah. you enjoy looking at 
as much, if not more, than actually playing it. Like, there's not a lot of depth. It's it's a mechanic that we've talked about before. Is interesting as you can move your worker ahead on these this trail take actions you just can't go back and once you get to the end of the trail that's it until everyone gets to the end of the trail you're picking up a light you're picking up water different trees you can stop and take a picture um and the main premise is that you're drawing these goal cards let's say yosemite park or say yosemite that's a that's a place yeah yellowstone the grand tetons acadia uh, the smoky mountains all these different places and they just require different resources that you collect along your trails, along your path to be able to play. And that's really the main gist of the game. There can be some strategy. If I go here, it forces my opponent to do this so I can get ahead. You can do a little bit of min-maxing. Um, but it, at the very end of it, it's a beautiful game. It's a beautiful production. There's not a lot of complicated. I mean, you could teach this game in five minutes at the most. Where you say, hey, we're going along this trail. You just got to pick up some water, some stone, some earth resources that you find um, whenever you go, you just can't go backwards. When you get to the end, we stop and then we'll restart. And if you ever get the resources to complete one of your map objectives, which is completing one of these national parks, you can play it and you'll get some points. I can't remember how many rounds there are in the game or you play until so many cards are completed. There are some little modules or some different little things you can put in there, like the photography type stuff and some bonus scoring. But if you didn't want to focus on that, you didn't have to. So you pull it out and it gets people's attention and there's not a lot of investment that you're going to have to do, but you enjoy it. It's beautiful to look at and it's a chill game. There's a lot of beautiful games we you can look at. We talked about that last week, but they're definitely not all chill. Parks has a low overhead and it doesn't overstay its welcome. That's my number five, Parks. Mine is very similar and I actually considered Parks, um, but I went with uh, Tokaido. Have you played Takedo? No. And this is actually probably one that I'd, I'd like to at least try because I've seen a lot of people's lists, but you're essentially going on a Japanese journey, right? Yeah. And it's yeah, sort of like a pilgrimage type of thing. And I get this one confused, Takedo and Takenoko all, all confused. So I had to Takenoko like check. Is, Takenoko is the one with the bamboo. The panda. Yeah. I had that one at one point and got rid of it. That one would have been a good one for last week's unique pieces. Those little mm. bamboo pieces are amazing. Anyways, th- we're talking about Takedo, and this one is um, very similar to Parks. You're kind of going around the board, and you're just trying to have like the best Japanese pilgrimage to these wonderful places, like hot springs. It's some you're like collecting art. You're um, going and having, like, yeah, going in hot springs with little monkeys and by eating eating the best food or buying the best souvenirs. Is and there stuff. sushi in the game? Um, I probably, there's all kinds of wonderful food stuff. Um, but yeah, this is like a classic one that my friends and I, um, like conclude the night with and, and but it's a little, play. it's a little bit of longer game. Would you, is it? Yeah. It, it, probably like 45 minutes, I would say okay. maybe to an hour. Definitely I did prob- back the, there's a sort of new version of it or like a spiritual successor to it, which is called, I think it's called Namiji. I might okay. be butchering that pronunciation, but it is instead of like you're hiking, you're actually sailing. So it comes with these really nice ships that are like pre-painted and they look very artsy and cool. And you're, I think you're for the most part doing the exact same thing, but you're just sailing around Japan or some nice place um, and kind of doing all the same things. So yeah, I actually say, don't have Takedo, so this is that's going to be. I don't my think any of yeah. I don't think any of us 
do? Would you say this is kind of a next step gateway game if people like stuff like life or something like that? Because the objective of life is just to live the coolest life or go um, on your journey. I think saying it's like life would be an insult to Takedo. Okay. But, I'm about next step. It's yeah, different, yeah. <laughs> but it's where they've been and where we're trying to take them. Yeah, I, yeah, they'd probably enjoy it. it. It's very. It almost looks like, um, like it was designed by Apple. Like it's very minimalistic. Very, looking. Yeah, very clean. Yeah. A lot of white to contrast. Very, very specific shapes and colors. Yeah, very bright colors and stuff. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, so I love that. That's yeah. why I like time stories. Have you ever? Oh, this is a segue. Have you ever gotten to play time stories? No, but I would love to give it a shot. I love time travel. Yeah, and so it is really, really cool. I played the first one, but it's been so long. And actually, I think I kind of played it solo halfway that I could play it again, and I wouldn't know all the answers or any stuff to it. Uh, I think I think I sold it, but Time Stories has a lot of modules and stuff. It was just one of those things to where the story, it's supposed to, like all these different scenarios and episodes are supposed to have connecting tissue through it. It didn't really present itself. They tried to do a reboot. But the first like two or three, maybe four episodes of Time Stories were generally regarded as some of the better ones. Yeah. But I think that'd be a great game to get into. But it has that aesthetic appeal. Like talk about you enjoy time traveling in a board game. We all are like time agents and we're at the big central command and we're going back and we're inhabiting people's bodies in these different time time periods or scenarios. And we're trying to discover things and do puzzles. So it's kind of like a little bit of an escape room puzzle stuff with a little time travel memory type stuff like Groundhog Day type stuff with it. But they're one shots. Once you play it, unless you wait a long time or didn't really complete it all, you wouldn't complete it or play it again, uh, rather. But that's kind of that's going to be it for those are kind of the games that we, uh, at least right now, uh, that we would want to end the game night with and just chill or something that we just don't have to think that hard about after end of a long week or end of a long work day, but we still want to get a board game play, but we don't want to drop out a Terra Mystica or anything yeah. really, really a big brain burner. Board games can get overlooked a lot of times, but they are important board games because you can't always be playing these like brain burning. The the hobby games. will as as much as we love our big heavy Euro games and all of our intricate details and all these Italian designers. The vast majority of the board gaming community, I'd say market, is built by people in mid to low to party weight type games. So we wouldn't get the games we love in the heavier spectrum or the more Euro spectrum if all these other games weren't loved and supported. Because these publishers wouldn't couldn't survive by just producing one heavy Euro game that fifteen to 20,000 people at most, if they're lucky, will buy it's by all of these lighter games that they can sell a hundred thousand, 75,000, 50,000 units and support their company, their employees that allows them to focus on more of these niche market games that we tend to enjoy so much. So I think it's a disservice to ever kind of overlook at these games of being less than or not as equal to, or not as important. They're different and they're just as valuable for their difference. All yeah. right, so what have we been focusing on this month? We've been focusing on the battle of the big box stores. We've already looked at Barnes and Nobles. We looked at, is it, I'm always confused. Is it Barnes and Noble or is it Barnes and Nobles? I think it's Barnes and Noble. I think okay, just I would, no my S. guess is that that is the name of the founders or something yeah. like that. Barnes we've done, and, and then we've done Target and we've done Walmart. And Brady, what is our fourth and final big box store that we're going to evaluate before we rank these. So this one is, and we'll probably do a ranking of them maybe next you week. we do it next week? Yeah. Okay. 
But uh, this one is Books A Million. And I don't know about you, but I have pretty fond memories of Books A Million. I grew up in Chattanooga. Yeah. And back in the day... Chattahoochee? Were, yeah, the, down in the Chattahoochee. Um, actually, the Chattahoochee is a little, little further away. The... But anyways, there was a little, uh, I guess, like outlet type of thing, and it had Toys R Us, and then right next to it was a Books A Million. And I, it was the best place ever, because you could go in Toys R Us and Books A Million, and it just had everything that you could want as a kid. Yeah. They, Books A Million, and this was back in the day when Books A Million, I went there and played like Pokemon with other kids in Books A Million. Um, and this is another one. I think Barnes and Noble, at least from like just going in them, was Barnes and Noble was the Starbucks more elitist of the two stores. Bar- well, this Books a million, everyone seems to can be go doing to. a little better, because um, like a lot of Barnes and Noble have Starbucks in them. But yeah, like I feel like anytime I see a Books a Million, it has like a store closing sale or and the one in Chattanooga yeah and the one in Chattanooga has been closing for like the past three years now and just has they just have these sales and then I go in there expecting these amazing deals and that's like 10 or 15 percent off I'm like well this is why you're closing um but anyways so there might not be a whole lot of if you're listening to this in the future and you're wondering what's what, books a million, what's a books a million? Yeah, what's a books a million uh there's probably good reason for that um, but, and we have our, we have one here locally and yep. so what City. we do with our criteria for this, uh, kind of battle here between these stores is it, it has to be, these are, have to be selections that we could physically go in and purchase with our cold, hard cash today, right after we get finished recording. So it, it's not something that can be shipped in or that some other third party can sell through them. This is something that they have currently in stock at our Johnson city location. Um, and from what I'm already looking at, this is a much less of a curated selection. Like they have different categories called family game nights, party games, best-selling puzzles, magic, the gathering, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh and more. Um, And it's just, I get a feeling that these games are just put in there together and not really curated. Like we noticed in some of these other ones. Yeah. It almost looks like someone went from, from their like corporate headquarters, went into a Barnes and Noble and were like, yeah, these are the games I saw. They put them in there, and they just had no yeah, idea. Yeah, because under party games, they have Red Rising, yeah. <laughs> which is a Stonemeyer game, which, hey, that's like you're on it, but right beside of it, you have Cards uh, Against Humanity, Cards Against Humanity <laughs> and some other, like a party game called Most Likely To, which is probably similar to um, the Colors game you have. What's True it called? Col- True, True Colors. colors yeah. Probably something similar to that. Um, so I don't think Red Rising has any business being in a party game. Uh, section yeah. and then they have somebody's some poor soul is going to have a bad time when they pick up red rising thing it's a party game yeah it doesn't and, even play it plays up to four i believe or maybe maybe five i think one thing with stonemeyer they like being able to play like up to five with a lot of their games uh but then the other like actual kind of like modern designer boarding games i'm seeing here are under your family game night category and that's the disney's villainous uh and pandemic and they that, don't forget disney code names did you see Disney codenames in there? Yeah. Okay. For whatever reason, mine wasn't isn't picking that up. But then that's about it for modern board games, except Brady, what game has a million books attached to it and people play it all over and it's really popular? And Books A Million 
seems to be an, a huge catalyst for this game, and that is D&D. Dungeons and Dragons. And the they largest... do. Like, if you ever go in there, they have like a whole D&D section. They've got like little minis and books and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, because it is big, bound, hardback, very... Like the D&D books, I've seen them. Um, people have you know, big stacks of them. They're high-quality, gloss paper they're beautiful, beautiful books that you want to have yeah. on hold. It's not like a lot of these games are doing digital D and D. Like you want that hard copy book. The section of D and D material by itself is more than everything oh, else yeah. combined. Yeah. That and then it has a, a good section of Yu Gi Oh or Mag- well, not Yu Gi Oh, excuse me, just Magic: The Gathering. The category says Yu Gi Oh, Pokemon, but it is just Magic is all they have to offering. So I would say, as far as board games go, Brady, I mean it's not a it's your it's top three yeah it's not a pick your top three is like there's only about three options i'm seeing three four options red rising pandemic disney's villainous and then you said disney code names you saw in there as well yeah i mean there are some other little family games but you can there's there's the sequel to uno it's called dose <laughs> card nice. games nice, nice. <laughs> But unless you're just really into Dungeons and Dragons, you are, I don't feel like Books a Million is anything that you're going to be recommending um, to people to go and say, hey, go look at this selection. And in our Johnson City, they have uh, our Books a Million is right beside Target, Target, which already has a better game. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. We'll All see right. how it, it brings up. So maybe up. we'll take a little actual trip to some of these. And take a look at their board game section just to make sure they don't have, you know, any crazy sales going on or something like that. They might come out of the the woodwork. Yeah. But I think the big difference that we're looking here and noticing with Books of Millions offering versus the other is that some of these other stores had a pretty good representation of what modern board gaming is. If someone went into Books of Million, like they have like one or two little things, Pandemic, Red Rising. But other than that, it just gets lost in this other mix of just more traditional type flair. And it isn't a very good representation of what modern board gaming can be outside of what's generally known to the mass populace. Whereas, you know, Target, uh, Barnes and Noble, and even Walmart um, that we saw there, even you went in, like last week you talked about, you went to our Walmart and took a picture of the row. And like the games that were at the very front of the row were the modern board games, Catan, Pandemics, Ticket to Ride, some other stuff like that, where I feel like Barnes and Books a Million, they're here and that's just about it. They're not focused. They're not. It's not curated. It's not put together with intent or with yeah. care, other than the Dungeons and Dragons, the plethora of books that you can have for that. And these books are pretty. These are fifty dollars books, Brady. I'm looking here at these Dungeons and Dragons books, and they're fifty dollars hardcover books. And I've literally seen people with stacks of them. So people are spending mad money. I don't yeah. hear anything about us, our collections. People are spending mad money on their D&D book collections. Yeah, and D&D is very popular. It's one of those um, one of those things where if somebody, uh, a lot of times if, if somebody hears that I like board games or I mention it they, and I say, hey, I like board games, they're like, oh, like D&D. Um, yeah. And they don't really, they've heard about it. It's so pop culture now yeah. that they don't really I mean, understand. Yeah, it's pervasive. It's not necessarily yeah, like even thing like Stranger Things, like that was a whole big thing that we're yeah, yeah. playing into games D&D. Um, with um, Critical Role. I don't know if you've actually watched any of their episodes on Critical Role. They're like... I can't. They're like four hours Yeah, four-hour content, and they have millions, millions of views. I know. They, they're they sponsored have... by Wizards of the Coast. They have they did a Kickstarter to have their own animated series based on their previous campaign, uh, the Something of Nine, uh, the, the Legend of Nine, the story of, 
or nine or whatever it is, something like yeah. that. But I mean, it's huge. Yeah, and it's so, cool, and I'm totally happy for the D and D community. Um, but that is, it's just not us, and I cannot get into uh, it. Our our boy John, I'm gonna put. Him I on, wish on we. Blast. I wish we had a, a critical role group, like a group of like semi famous people who could really propagate board games up and be their champion and our oh, board games of, version of critical role uh, yeah well that version. that was what table yeah tabletop was, was yeah. before critical role there was ta- tabletop well and as will Wheaton was getting actors there's movie stars from from like science fiction a lot of them more were science fiction yeah. but they were and it's on so TV. well produced yeah. will will bring it back i we need to do i've read some stuff i don't know how true or accurate it is I'm curious to deep dive more. Little, into the, there's the, little drama. The, the cause of it, yeah. It was Geek and Sundry, I believe, was the the main um, associated company that it was with. Um, but that was a huge, huge And hit. it's kind of crazy that like board games have only continued to get more popular, and yet there still is not... Nobody's done it better than tabletop. There's not a spotlight. Yeah. Like there isn't like a beacon. Like the Dice Tower is there, but it is... As much as we love the Dice Tower, I think you can I and see it is... It's definitely, they do not attempt to be mainstream. And it's not, there's not that entertainment factor. Like we would, Tara and I would watch episodes of Tabletop and a game that we weren't necessarily interested in because it was funny yeah, and they, well-produced. They, they and, would add intrigue, mystery. Yeah, yeah. They would add, not, it was, and they it had was those, like, a little drama, like side conversations. Yeah, the side conversations. Like, like Survivor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Survivor. Uh, and when they're, yeah. And somebody's like, oh, he thinks. So I'm doing this, but I'm doing this. So it was super palatable. It was all focused on gateway games. So they knew their they knew their target audience. They knew their niche. They knew that you know if you enjoy this, there's other places you go, like the Dice Tower, which was always in their suggested video feeds. There's places you can go for more in depth. But we are focusing on being a spotlight. Yeah. Um. And it's a it's a, it's a shame that they, they some people have tried to take up the mantle and do that, but it's like. It's never quite Not, been the same. Yeah. Um, but, but anyways. But I guess next week, uh, we'll get into our new series um, next week for the um, upcoming. Well, no, we, September has an extra month in it. An extra week. An extra week in it. An extra week. Yeah. So yeah. we'll we'll do, we'll kind of maybe go out, um, put a shopping cart together and go look at look at who has, if we could only pick one big box game store for the rest of our lives for the rest of our lives battle to fight the aliens for your survival yeah what it will be all right well i think that's going to be it for this week's episode also um coming up not too distant future we're going to be having our board game minute mini convention the discussion phase convention not it's not really a discussion phase convention but our annual uh cabin trip and so we're going to be trying to put together a kind of megalodon mega episode uh with all the guys in it for a podcast episode, kind of be a special yeah. annual event there with everybody on it. Uh, so be looking forward to the next coming weeks toward the end of October for that to drop. Uh, but that's going to be it for this week's episode. As always, I'm Matthew. I'm Brady. And this has been the, the discussion, discussion phase. phase. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Discussion Phase. If you enjoyed our content and like to hear more, make sure to tune back every week for new episodes. You can follow us on Instagram at the Discussion Phase for new posts and reviews, or you can listen to what you think about every topic and discussion that we go over at the Discussion Phase at gmail.com. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>